It's about the tools we use. It's about the stories we tell. It's about how we change. It's evolution, baby. All right. Welcome back to Do the Evolution, my podcast about all things filmmaking, technology, and transformation. I'm your host, Jason Lang, and this week I kind of wanted to go on another little rant, and this time it's about the socioeconomic classism of high vibration. That is quite a mouthful, and I'm going to break down exactly what what I'm talking about in that and why I care and why it's alive for me right now. And where we're going to start is with this idea of high vibration, right? And this is a a term that kind of comes out of um, consciousness communities, and particularly around communities that care about the law of attraction. And the law of attractions, you know, comes from a couple different lineages and goes way back, and there's a number of expressions of it in spiritual communities. And it's basically this idea that our thoughts create our reality, that it's, it's our thoughts that actually manifest this external world and experience we're having. So the law of attraction kind of posits that by changing our thoughts, we can change the outside world. We can actually um, magnetize towards us the type of life we want, meaning we can if, if we vibrate positively and have positive thoughts, only positive things will come back our way and happen to us. Now, this is actually pretty cool. It's a pretty revolutionary idea in the history of consciousness in some sense, as it calls forth some responsibility in terms of what are we thinking about and what are our thoughts doing. Um, and it calls us to have some discipline and awareness of our thought cycle and our patterns of belief in what we let go through our system. Taking responsibility for that is very powerful. Um, it's It's a way for us to shift out of purely being victims of the world. And it kind of works. You know, there there is something to high vibration and the frequency with which we are moving through the world. You know, are we contracted and tight? not feeling? Or are we open, flexible, loose, alert, and in a loving presence with everything, no matter what comes up? Now, the downside to this, and you know, the law of attraction kind of got its last big hit of juice and popularity back maybe about a decade ago when the secret hit. And the secret was kind of this fantastically crazy, slightly cheesy narrative about how all the, you know, best people in the history of the planet knew this secret about the power of high vibration and our thoughts and how if literally they use an example in it, which is kind of terrible of, you know, if you want a bike, you just have to think positive thoughts about a bike and it'll manifest and, you know, whatever. All right. If you want a bike and that's what you want to do with your high vibration, go for it. Um, (laughs) But uh, here's the deal, and here's the truth. For those of you that know me, um, you know I'm an integral cat. I believe in this thing called integral theory. And for those of you that don't, um, you're about to get a little download on a piece of it. And part of integral theory is this idea that 
every moment, every single moment in the history of the planet, in the cosmos, in the unfolding of time and reality, tetra arises, meaning the one moment arises in four unique perspectives at any given time. And none of these perspectives can be collapsed into the other. So they're all discrete, distinct, and unique, and all happening at the same time. So they can't be separated. You can't collapse one into the other, and they're all there as their own thing. So what's this got to do with the law of attraction? Well, what we call these four fundamental perspectives on reality are the quadrants. And you can imagine the quadrants is basically just being a very simple um, line crossing over the other one. It looks like a plus sign. So you basically have four squares, top left, bottom left, bottom right, top right. And here's the deal with the quadrants. Here's how they map out. The two squares on the top, those are individual. The two squares on the bottom, those are collective. Now, the two squares on the left are interior. And the two squares on the right are exterior. So, going around the circle, what we get is the top left is individual interior. The bottom left is collective interior. The bottom right is collective exterior. And the top right is individual exterior. Now, you can actually kind of simplify these even more if you want to think about it um, as three native perspectives, and that's just I, we, and it. Everything on the right are its. They're things out there. Um, The I is the part of us that's the inside of us, our individual thoughts. That's the top left. And we is the bottom left. It's the collective interior. It's the thing that happens between us. So we have I, we, and it, which really kind of breaks down in in more simple terms, these four unique quadrants. And so why I'm putting these out there is that the law of attraction, this idea that our thoughts create reality, that comes from the upper left. That comes from our individual interior quadrant. That is one of the fundamental aspects of reality and how the world emerges in any given moment. So there is absolute truth that our thoughts influence the way the world manifests around us. Um, Because like we said, things tetra-arise, meaning moments actually happen in all four of these quadrants at once. And so taking responsibility for our individual interior thoughts, our mind, our vibration inside of us, That's one-fourth of the equation, and that actually does influence the other three quadrants, kind of amazingly. It's very powerful, but it is not the only quadrant. You cannot reduce the others to that, and here's why that's important, because the shadow of the law of attraction, the downside of if it was really true that your thoughts fundamentally created all of reality... Every negative thing that ever happened to you or someone you loved is your fault. So a cancer diagnosis is your fault because you weren't high enough vibration. Getting in a car accident is your fault because you were 
calling negative energy towards you. Being born poor, your fault, not high enough vibration. So you can see that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous and not really true. Sometimes shit just happens in life that is totally out of our control. And it's not always fair. That's the truth of the matter. And so one way you can actually think about um, these quadrants and how they show up in our society as is, is this age-old debate of nature versus nurture, right? This, what makes us? Is it the body we're born in and the environment we're born in? Or is it our individual values, our interiors, the way we choose to live our life that really defines us? You know, is it our biology or not? And the truth is, as we know with the quadrants, it's both. And this argument's been going on for the longest time. And each side wants to be totally right. Um, And each side is only partially right. And this plays out very clearly in our culture here in America, because even though the terminology is a little off, um, nature versus nurture, or the left-hand quadrants versus the right-hand quadrants, individual versus um, interior versus exterior, sorry, um, maps out pretty perfectly on our two-party system, our major parties. And our liberal party, our left wing, actually believes more in nature. It believes more in external circumstances determine our fate in life. Whereas our right-wing party, our conservative party, believes more in nurture, in that it's it's the, the values we're given as human beings and that we take on in our decision, our integrity that determines how successful we are in life. Now, the truth is, like we said, both are true, but both are only partial. And that's the problem we can get into with high vibration is it ignores that our thoughts are only one fourth of the equation. Now, one fourth, 25%, that's a big freaking deal. That's actually a huge deal. That is a tremendous amount of leverage and power we can have by taking full responsibility for our thoughts and behavior um, inside of us. Because it really does impact the other quadrants, the other aspects of reality. But other things happen in other quadrants that are totally out of our control. And that's not always our fault. It is not always our fault. And so why do I care about this right now, right? (laughs) Well, high vibration, it's something we talk about a lot in consciousness communities right? And people who are doing deep inner work. And here's the deal. Most consciousness communities where people are doing deep inner work tend to be wealthier. It maps very clearly on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which many, many people know. We've heard about this, right? This isn't new information. Um, It's that we actually move through stages of needs, meaning The things that are most important to us are survival needs at any given time. At the bottom, we have physiological, safety, then love and belonging, then esteem, and then self-actualization. And this is actually a pyramid, meaning um, the bottom is wider than the top, right? Meaning in some needs, in, in some ways, it's more fundamental. Now, this is another 
kind of aspect of integral theory I've always loved, and it's depth versus span. And that's at the bottom of these hierarchies, things have more span, meaning they're more spread out. They're more fundamental to the nature of being. And the higher we go in a hierarchy, um, the more depth there is because it actually includes everything that came before it. But because it includes everything that came before it and adds something new, there's always less of it as you get to the top, right? And we see this very clearly in the external manifestation of the world, right? Um, atoms become molecules, molecules become cells, cells become creatures, but there's always going to be less of the thing at the top than at the bottom because you build the thing out of the top from the thing at the bottom. So what does that mean? It just means that things at the bottom are more fundamental in some regards. And physiological needs and safety needs are more fundamental to us than self-actualization, meaning it's really hard to actually move into self-actualization and have good esteem unless you have your physiological needs, your safety needs, and your love and belonging needs met. They are actually the basis by which you build on top. Um, you build each of these stages and you build up in the pyramid. And so what got me thinking about this this week is this other crazy thing that has been around for a long time and I've often used in conversations and it's called the marshmallow test. And the marshmallow test was this scientific experiment um, done a couple decades ago that was all about the power of delayed gratification. It was a very simple experiment where they brought a bunch of kids into a room and they sat them down without um, supervision and they put a marshmallow in front of them and they basically said, hey, here's a marshmallow. Um, if you can wait 10 minutes and not eat it, we'll give you two. And so the kids were left and they were tested. Can they actually delay their self-gratification to get this greater reward, right? Can I say no to the one marshmallow right now so I can get two in 10 minutes? And that's, that's very, very nurture. That's very, very um, self-responsibility. That's very, very kind of the conservative wing of our party, of our uh, political system, that it's, it's up to you. You decide your worth in the world. And what they found in this experiment was some pretty crazy data where it turns out that the kids that were able to delay that gratification and say no to the one marshmallow to get another marshmallow later on, they tended to do better later in life. They had higher paying jobs, more successful relationships, and generally just flourished more overall. And so this was always a prime example of the power of nurture and self-responsibility. But here's the crazy deal. Um, just uh, this last week, um, some new research came out where they tried to reproduce this, this study and it didn't quite work. And why didn't it quite work? Well, the original study pulled all the kids from the same school. And it turns out that more than delaying self-gratification, the number one indicator of what allowed kids to delay gratification and actually determine their success in the world later on when they remapped this was the level of household income, meaning that a child coming from a household with kind of good financial situation and good financial situations always, but not always sometimes, you know, have some stability to them. That was actually the number one determining factor, not the child's ability to self um, delay gratification. 
And that's pretty huge shift. That's a huge shift. That's way more on the nature side that turns out context, the set and setting we're born into, our circumstances really do influence us. Now, that's not to say the ability to actually practice mindfulness and create a muscle of delaying self-gratification can't be done, but it's also just acknowledging that it's not that simple. It really does matter. And why this is super fascinating to me is this other thing that's happened in the last couple of years is polyvagal theory has gotten super popular. And for right good reason, it's really filling in some of the major missing pieces about how our evolutionary biology works and how our nervous systems work. And basically, it comes down to there's this giant nerve going through our center column that kind of goes from our head down into um, our pelvis. It's called our vagal nerve. And it's actually a combination of different nerves and different fibers that have evolved over time in our evolutionary biology. And it's a fascinating theory, and it's really awesome. Um, and I would definitely recommend reading about it. It influences kind of everything. But what some of what they've discovered is that nerve has a huge amount to do with how we regulate our systems. Um, literally, how do we regulate our nervous system to feel calm, relaxed, alert, and safe? Um, and a lot of it comes through our vagal nerve. And this gets mapped onto some pretty important things, such as the types of stimulus we're receiving. So ugly, harsh hospital lighting does not send a safety cue to our nervous system. Deep, loud, rumbling noises do not send safety systems to our nervous system. Gross, rotten smells do not send safety signals to our nervous systems. Lack of face-to-face contact with Loving touch involved does not send safety signals to our nervous system. And so what's that all got to do with the power and the law of attraction and classism of high vibration? Well, this is the hierarchy of needs, right? If we don't have our physiological needs met, it becomes much, much harder for us to get into self-actualization. So our physiological needs and our safety needs They really are influenced by our environment and the people around us. And so, you know, we hear this all the time. You know, it's kind of cliche. You're talking, you see someone yelling at homeless people on the street and it's like, why don't you get a job? You know, and then they wonder why we set up these programs and it's really hard for these people to to increase stability. And the truth is it's because their nervous systems are fucking fried. They are fried. They're... Vegas nerves have gotten so many damaging signals from their environment, from the people around them. Imagine being a homeless person on the streets and all day long, no one really makes eye contact with you. Just imagine how that would feel and what that would do to your psyche. And people, a lot of, most of the people, not everyone don't want to talk to you or assume you just want to get something from them. That's damaging. And then the only types of food you have access to are cheap, sugary carbs from gas stations that do even more to put your nervous system on the fritz. So as you can see, um, there's the whole point of this and why I'm going into it is there's a total classism to high vibration. High vibration is a beautiful thing we get lucky to experience 
when our physiological safety needs, love and belonging needs, and esteem needs are met. Then we can move into self-actualization. Then we have the bandwidth and the proper framework, the the basic um, calm, regulated nervous system to really do something with our thoughts and positively hold good vibrations that we can then bring out to other people in the world. Um, that's not to say that it's not possible to, you know, be in a tough environment and choose love. I, I totally think it is, but it's something we really have to be aware of. What we want is to move our society to a place where everyone has the luxury of being high vibration, but it's pretty hard to be in high vibration when your nervous system is in fight or flight because your physiological and safety needs aren't being met. And if you've ever lived paycheck to paycheck or had tons of debt or not had access to food or clean water or an environment with which you just felt safe in or people with which you felt safe in, there is no amount of high vibration thinking that's really going to relax your nervous system in the way it needs. That's only going to come from getting these base needs met and in sustained long-term ways where our neurobiology gets reprogrammed and becomes calm enough and open enough that then when we have this strong foundation, when we're out of nervous system debt, as we might say, the power of the law of attraction becomes really important um, because our other quadrants are kind of handled. And the one quadrant that might not be handled is our individual interior, our thoughts. So the more stable we get in our relationships, the culture we're part of, the systems we're part of, and literally our body in the external world, if those all three, those get, get secure, get set, get good, then our biggest variable becomes our vibration, our thoughts, what we're thinking and putting into the world. Um, so it becomes very important. And that's why we see it show up in, the, in, in these consciousness communities where we oftentimes get the luxury of working on ourselves and turning inside and thinking about our thoughts and taking the time to go on workshops and all these lovely things we get to do of eating great food and doing yoga classes and drinking super purified water. And they all work and they all help because they just continue to bring further and further and deeper and deeper health to our whole kind of hierarchy of needs per se. And then from that place, it becomes very important what we're doing with our thoughts. But if we don't have any of that, it's, it's just not fair to put on people. You need to be thinking high vibration. And if shit's happening in your life, it's happening because of your mindset. It's a partial truth. It is not the whole truth. And it's full of socioeconomic classism. So if you give a shit about the world and spirituality and consciousness, you got to be politically active. You got to actually care about how our society is organizing and divvying, divvying up safety. You know, really that simple, that it really does matter to be brought up in a secure environment with access to good food. And just imagine the difference between growing up in a slum with all the loud trucks and noises and smells in generally kind of aesthetically unpleasing environments that send all these danger signals to our nervous systems, to our vagal nerve versus, you know, a wealthy house where there's 
always snacks out and there's peace and there's quiet because it's a bigger neighborhood and probably has access to green and trails and pleasantry and mom always hugs you and all these great things. So yeah, you know, take control of your thoughts. Be very conscious of it. But if you see someone having a hard time, don't just throw, you need to change your vibration at them. Get to know their circumstances. Get to know their life. Do not shame them into thinking everything is their fault. It's not. Shit just happens. Our set and setting really do impact who we are and how much we can relax. And when we're relaxed, in a place of safety, in a place of relaxment, that's where abundance comes from. It's really hard to be abundant if you're in fight or flight, stress, debt, or danger. I think that's where we're going to end the rant for this week. Kind of covered a lot of stuff. But uh, curious to know your thoughts on this idea. Do you see it play out in your culture, in your world, in politics? What do you think of it? Let me know. And until next time, this is Jason Lang signing off. Special shout out and thanks to Screaming Witness for the amazing intro and outro song. Check them out.